0: Like I said, the hits keep coming, and it is no different today. Welcome to TK's A-Brigade. I am your host, TK. I have been on the music series now in Season 4, predominantly for the last two months. I have gotten to sit down with some very successful, very talented artists, and that is no different today. So quick backstory. Years back, my band, Sound Mind, put on a showcase at Herman's Hideaway, We asked a few artists around Colorado to join us on the showcase. One of the bands, the lead singer is also the bassist, her name is Marcel. Very talented songwriter, very talented vocalist. And so I reached out to Marcel and said, Hey, would you be interested in coming on the music series and telling me your story? She said, Well, yes. Can I invite my boyfriend, Scott Kinsey, to join us? And I said, Absolutely. So to be very honest, I didn't know who Scott was. But as you will learn, like I did, he is a uber-successful artist and has a great story. Marcel's story is just as great. So I get two for one today, which is amazing. So turn up your radios as we sit with Scott and Marcel here on TK's A-Brigade. All right, so I'm sitting here in the studio. I'm going to give Marcel and Scott a phone call, so give me a second. Hey, hey, hey! What's up, Marcel? It's TK. How you doing?
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: And then we also have another guest, uh, Scott. Go ahead and say hi, Scott. Hey, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm doing great, man. Uh, you know, it's almost Christmas time, and uh, yeah, life nice. is good, man. So nice. But but uh, so I wanted to get on with you guys today, and uh, you know, talking about the music series on my podcast and getting different artists on to share their journey and you know, kind of where they started what got them into music, you know, who influences them, who influences you guys. And so that's kind of what I'd like to do today is just kick that off by, you know, kind of getting your both your backstories and how you started in music and, you know, who influenced you. So we could start with Marcel, like, what, uh, what got you into playing bass?
1: It's funny you say that, but it all starts when I'm like, I'm like 18. And by that point, I had gone through like... A kids Broadway conservatory if you will for like the last eight years and then I find myself at 18 and uh, I'm wondering how I can continue making music and I went and started myself a little rock band and our bass player dropped out Oh and boy! we had all these subs and they were really good players but they just didn't want to learn the music so I picked up the bass one Christmas, actually, in 2012, and uh, within about six months, I had learned about um, 16th note syncopation and just some basics so that I could um, front my former band, and then I did that for like a decade. Wow.
0: So you just picked it up and you're like, okay, I'm going to learn bass today. And you just started plucking away. And pretty soon you're like, okay, I know the scales. I know where to go. I I can hold the tempo. Like, that's pretty impressive, to be honest. Well,
1: it wasn't without the help of some local bass teachers and some national stars that I got to talk to in the first three or four months. I was just really lucky. I went to a couple clinics. And uh, locally, I asked Andy Irvine. I don't know if you heard of him. Um, Up in the mountains, really good bass player with a lot of endorsements. And I asked um, Chris Harris, who's the guy in Denver that when Herbs, well, not Herbs, when El Chapultepec was still a club, he'd play there all the time with Marion Edwards. And I really liked to jam with them. Really nice cats. And like just some cats just around Colorado that were really good. um, Got me started.
0: Nice, nice. How about you, Scott? What's uh? How'd you start in music?
2: Well, that's a good question. I don't think about it very often. But I guess when I was a little kid, I I um, my dad is a piano player. My mom was a music minor in college, and um, and my my dad like our basement was kind of a stereo room, you know. So he was always playing music, and um, and always playing. You know, he played keyboards in a in kind of a band too, so I just got interested by watching him. I think it just kind of um, happened naturally because, um, you know, he was so into music. So I think that's you know how I got interested. And then I think one day I, I don't know if like if, if I had stayed home from school or what happened, but I put the radio on and I heard this. I think it was Patrick Gleason. He's a he's a um, he's a keyboard player and what he had done is that he kind of like he kind of emulated a big band on the synthesizer and i'd never heard that anything like that before and that really got me interested in the concept of um jazz synthesizer again it's just nothing i'd ever heard of i'd never heard of anybody doing that um so you know that i but there it was and i was listening to it and so i went to the piano and i was trying to kind of like roughly figure out what i was hearing and the truth is i couldn't find one note that worked with what i was hearing
1: because you know
2: because there was a form there and there you know he's playing kind of like lines but you know he was he wasn't really improvising he was playing like a saxophone part or like brass parts on the keyboard and it was very intricate and so, yeah, I just tried to play along and I couldn't find one note. And I, that got me even more interested because I'm going, what in the world is going on in this music that I can't even find one note that works?
0: I love it. Yeah. So I, <laughs>
2: nice. I just, I guess it just slowly built from there where I, I just went, okay, well, I'm going to have to check this out. And so I started getting interested in kind of like the nuts and bolts of like what made up music. I wasn't really interested in the actual tunes or playing any music but i just wanted to know how to play scales or how to play or you know, like what were the modes or what you know what are these things that i keep hearing about but i didn't really know about sure and and the fact that it was all a big mystery to me was more even more interesting in a way okay so what we're going to say
0: nice I was just saying that so it sounds like you were focused a little more on the technical aspect of it trying to understand like you said modes and like the different minor major scales things like that so you could understand it better like yeah. so more of like a theory mindset.
2: Yeah, kind of. I mean, it was I was it was driven by the fact that I heard music I didn't understand and I knew that there was something in there like I knew that it had to do with these things but I didn't really yeah, I mean it was kind of all just a big mystery. So and then, you know, like when I was in high school a little bit this would have been quite a bit later I just literally had one friend who was interested in jazz and that that one friend you know he had the Charlie Parker omnibook, and he would you know he was a decent reader so he could kind of play some of that so you know I at least had one person to talk to about jazz or about that type of you know music so um, again it was kind of hard in Owasso Michigan to find new resources we didn't have the internet then you know, there was literally like now kids have the YouTube and they can find literally everything that's ever been played by anyone. But at that time, being from Owasso, you just had like whatever you had in front of you. So, I mean, my dad had a good record collection. He was into music and I heard stuff on the radio and I had one friend in high school that was into music. But that that was it. Nice. You know, so nice. but I think the cool thing about that is I think leaving it just up to you kind of lets your imagination develop maybe um, better in a way than than it can now when everything is black and white and right in front of you I don't know, that's the theory but that's just how it works Right?
0: yeah, did you say okay, so I I want to make sure I heard this right you're from Michigan, right? from Michigan, yeah Yeah, so I got I get some really close good friends that actually are from Ohio and oh yeah, uh, my uncle lives in the UP. So okay, uh, I'm from Iowa personally. So I mean the Midwest and yep. that's cool, man. Because I'm with you when you say you know back in the day, man, like the 80s and the 90s. You know we didn't have the search engines to go and you know look up you know a chord progression or some way to no. you know correlate music man you just put it on the record or the tape cassette and yeah. then you hit rewind like 15 times exactly right? so just get one I mean, section you know come to think of so. it we
2: we didn't even have like the amazing slowdown or any of that I had a cassette deck a very small cassette deck that had a pitch control on it so I could tune it down was, all right, by just slowing yeah. the speed to half
0: or whatever you know so right. there
2: were ways, you know, you could find, but it wasn't, I mean, now it's a piece of cake compared to that.
0: Oh, man, like like light years of a difference, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure, yeah, that's yeah, nice. Yeah. All right, now, uh Marcel, so you said you started when you were 18, and then you started playing just regularly, and, and you're a native of Colorado, is that right?
1: Yeah, I'm a native of Colorado, and I'd say, like, okay, like, my bass playing started at, like, 22 but if you if you rewind I started doing music when I was two my mom put me on stage when oh, I was wow. three okay and it was I when I was like 12 I said to my mom can you get me lessons I want to be a pop musician
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice
1: in that time she put me in she put me back in the same Broadway school that I was in it was owned by a Mormon family a couple families and they had all kinds of voice teachers and Dance teachers and and I also got um, you know special voice lessons from um, a woman that wrote her own musical. Her name's Alex Ryer. Um Shout out to her. And um, nice. I also at that time wanted to learn about a little bit about um, improvisation and leaving just diatonic stuff. And so I, a family friend, I could not get in to see this guy named Mark Slonecker, but one of his students. Andrew Recknitz was a family friend, and he would come over and he would go teach me, like, the circle of fifths and, like, the modes and stuff. And so, from the time I was about 12 to 18, he would come over randomly and teach me. So, you know, in addition to, like, the Broadway thing, which exposes you to a lot of genres, I started to write my own songs. And I've, I've tried to be, like, a Joni Mitchell in a way, like to write using you know interesting harmony um and sometimes get into interesting rhythm you know what yes i try you
2: combine interesting (laughs) harmony with interesting
1: (laughs) rhythm
0: are you out of your mind yes i'm crazy i love it i love it that's great though because let's be honest like you know it's funny i am working with this guy um recently and He's really straight-laced. He's very... I mean, he's an awesome dude. He's one of my best friends. But he's very prim and proper. And trying to explain to him how artists think because I think we are a different breed and I say we, because I'm an artist as well. And, and when I say we as a collective group, I think that we think we look at things differently, right? Mm -hmm. Like some person, some people look at like, uh, you know, a situation it's like straight on. Right. Whereas I think, and this is again, my opinion, but I think artists look at a situation and they just have, they just, you know, they look at it through different lenses. And then when it presents itself as like a full spectrum, People are like, oh, that's what that is. And the artist is like, yeah, but it could be this Mm -hmm. or it could be that. Approaching music in in a different format sometimes. I think for some people it doesn't make sense because they're like, I don't know why you would do that. I don't know why you would play like that. And it's like, well, because it works. (laughs) But anyways, so. Okay, so we got two budding musicians here, uh, and so, Scott, did you uh, – you, so you were in Michigan. Uh, where did you go, like, when you really started to get serious about music? Did you stay in Michigan? Did you move out of no, state? Like, I, what was your uh...
2: – Well, yeah, I mean, I, I got a piano teacher my senior year in high school, and he would literally just say, well, imagine that you're playing with the really burning rhythm section, and I kind of going, okay, I've, well, I've never done that, but I will imagine – so after I went through <laughs> okay. that year with, with him, I, um, I went to Berklee College of Music in Boston. Um, yes. So I, I studied there um, for, you know, four years. So that's, yeah. that's what I chose to do.
0: Nice. In fact, a good friend of mine, uh, his name is Tyler Hughes, and he actually is from Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is uh, a guitarist, and he's actually the director of the School of Music of Rock here in Denver. Oh. Uh, He went to uh, Berklee School of Music in in Boston as well. And so, yeah, man, small world.
2: That was a great school. And especially when I went there, there there's so many other great students, you know, who are, you know, pretty much. I mean, Layla Hathaway was there at the time, and I don't know, Paula Cole. Seamus Blake, Kurt Rosenwinkel, a lot of really great musicians, you know, and so I had a great class.
0: Nice. All right, so you're out in Boston. When when did you graduate from uh, Berkeley? I graduated in '91. Okay, man. So like you're so you your career has been long and
2: yeah, I've been (laughs) I've been at this for a long, long time. Uh, I've been doing this for you know basically since '91, and then when I graduated from college. I immediately, like the very same day I graduated, I was on a plane uh, to uh, okay. not, no, not L.A. because I had already, I already got the gig with, with Scott Henderson. So I, I started working with Scott Henderson, and Gary Willis, in a band called Tribal Tech. And I started in Minneapolis at the Fine Line in Minneapolis on May, f- probably around May fifth, nineteen ninety one. So wow. I remember, I think I graduated on May fourth. So anyways, oh, wow. yeah, it was it was a crazy time. And uh, you know, I'm I'm really fortunate to say like I got a gig, you know. <laughs> right? Yeah. A right, really big gig cuz right? you kind of wonder like, well, what am I going to do when I graduate? And All my friends were moving to New York and um East Coast and it's just staying on the East Coast, but I was like pretty much one of the only ones who moved to the West Coast.
1: Scott's like Scott's a visionary talent of a generation kind of uh Synth player, and I know you're uncomfortable with me saying this about you, but, um, anyways, if you're curious about Scott, you should check out Tribal Tech between after the year of '91 and um, check out um, Moe's Space Ranch. Oh, Uncle Moe's Uncle Mo's Space Ranch. Um, talk, look up Scott Kinsey on Spotify. Um, listen to the um, Ocean's Eleven soundtracks that's that's his playing on it oh boy so, we're
0: getting serious now yeah <laughs> yeah I like yeah. that that's
2: what I like to hear man that's cool yeah I did Ocean's Eleven 12, 13 and uh, also analyzed that and a bunch of other movies around that time
0: so were you on the score or did you what, did you produce yeah. it what, what, was was your, uh, what was your role
2: I was playing on the. I was playing with like um, the other musicians who were you know called to create the score yeah
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's huge, man. That's Oh, man. I'm, I'm sitting here just swimming with questions. Like, I got so many questions. So we got... Well, that's Rousseau, all so we're we today. <laughs> oh, man. That's cruel. That is so cruel. So and, and this time, 91... Uh, she was one you know, year well, old. I was one year one old. old. Okay. So <laughs> if we fast forward... So you you started doing music, like, seriously, at least right around 22 years old. um, And you were here in Colorado. Now, were you in, uh, like, a a steady band, or were you still just kind of learning the bass? Or what was your, like, where were you going? What was your goals? What was your aspirations when it came to that?
1: Well, I felt like it was, um... I was, like, probably, like, 19 when I... I wanted to be serious way sooner. It just felt like um, I really started to to do it myself when I picked up the bass at, like, 2021, So, you know, then I started to, with my band partner, we would rent out theaters like the Rialto in Loveland and the Lincoln Center in Fort Collins, and we'd produce these shows and have bands open for us. And then I just said yes to every gig that came, you know, because I never knew who I would eventually meet, and I just, I kept grinding. I, I did probably... 8 to 10 gigs a month for a decade. And eventually, I opened my own recording studio for a while and produced other artists and played bass on their stuff just as a way to just kind of keep presenting myself. Like, I want this. I want this direction. And I learned to use a DAW. And eventually, somebody's singer dropped out of a record. And Jimmy Haslip, this bass player, was producing it. He's a bass player for the Yellow Jackets. And uh, I got to like co-write a song with Jeff Lorber and um, went to a studio in Denver. And I was like so wanting to nail it that I I, like practiced it to death and went in and did it in one take. And Haslip invited me to do uh, another recording in Los Angeles in uh, the Valley where I flew out for like two days And, um, we just worked one day in the studio with Scott Kinsey here. Oh boy. Here we go. That's where we met on a, on a session.
0: Mm -hmm. What year was that? So, okay, about three years ago. Okay. So, Scott, up until that point, as far as career goes, what, what, what kind of things were you doing, like, between the time that you met Marcel and, and you were doing the scores for the Oceans movies and stuff like that? Were you touring? Did you, I mean, you yeah, know, were you recording I, with artists and stuff?
2: I, um, I had started my own band, I don't know when I started it, quite a while ago. So I was touring with my band in Asia and in Europe, then I did. Then I created some other groups. Like, um, I mean, I did. A, I did a lot of records. You know, so I did a lot of records with Bob Belden and Tim Higgins uh, for Blue Note. Um, and Let's go. I did a record with Seamus Blake called Superconductor uh, with John Schofield and a lot of different people. And then, you know, that's kind of like after Tribal Tech was over. My own band, which I've done like maybe three, three records with. I guess one of them's called Kinesthetics. Another one's called uh, "Near Life Experience," and then I, I started a uh, kind of like a trio with Jimmy Haslip and Gergo Borlai, and also with uh, two other drummers, Vinnie Kaliuta and Gary Novak were in there, and then we called that the wow. Art Trio. That's it's called okay. the Art Trio. So we did one record, and then we did just last year we did a, a during kind of like during the COVID whole like mess we did a, another record with the John Diversa Big Band, and. The Arc Trio together, with um, playing the music of Michael Schmidt. So that's kind of complicated, but we did that record. And like what am I forgetting? There's a I bunch of stuff. You forgot
1: Faces and Places with Joe Zawinul from Weather Report.
2: Right. Well, I got I became really good friends with Joe and and started working with him on his what became his last um, studio record called Yeah, like Mary said, called Faces and Places. I didn't, of course, like, play keyboards on that because Joe Zavano is the keyboard player and you can't, you know, (laughs) I was just, but I was there every day from actually in a way from before the record started, kind of pre-planning the thing in in his uh, office to actually starting to record. That's right after Joe moved back from New York. He left L.A. He was in Malibu. He left L.A., went to New York because they thought their house had burned down in those horrible Malibu fires. Oh, um, but no. it, it actually didn't burn down. But since they had thought it did, they took a place in New York. So they left for about seven years and then they came back. And it was the first, very first recording in that new place back in L.A. and in, in Malibu, like the first session for that record. Faces and places. So anyway, I had I was there for about 103 days of that record. I, I was there a lot. Wow,
0: that's a long time. Yeah, I really
2: I was really you know next to Joe for the whole thing. So that for me was actually an unbelievable education as to how you know people if people ever wondered well, how does he do it? You know what I mean? Like how does he? Because I'd always kind of reverse engineered weather report records and Zavonel Syndicate records in my mind, but to sit there with him and actually create one was really incredible so that was that was a very very cool experience
0: that sounds like amazing that sounds like something and it's funny because when you talk to different you know artists at different levels right yeah you get like the artists that just play the local bars and they play the cover tunes and you know their aspirations of being big and famous and stuff but then the reality of actually You know, getting put on a label or or getting picked up by somebody who's going to, you know, front that money for you to go on tour or to actually go in the studio and and create a record that people will listen to. Mm -hmm. Like that work. You know, I've worked with a lot of artists that are like, man, I spent, you know, 20 straight days, 12, 15, 20 hour days in the studio you know, like doing, you know, rewriting or re-recording or whatever. Uh And it's just grueling. And then take that, all that work, and then go out and and get in front of audiences and perform that. And you hope that these audiences will enjoy what you're doing. I mean, obviously, if you get signed to a label, like, you're doing something right, but... I mean, the ability to tour Europe, I mean, that in itself, I mean, that's got to be something that, I mean, was that a bucket list thing for you when you finally got to go and, and like travel and play music overseas and stuff?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was something I definitely knew I wanted to do when I was in high school. And, you know, I, I don't think I had a clue how I would get there, but I just, it was something I wanted to do. So actually, it was really fun because when I joined Tribal Tech... Within the very first couple of months of being in the band, we had our first gig in in Italy. So we only, you know, that was was just like a one-off thing. We just flew there and did like one or two gigs or like a jazz festival or something. And that was kind of like my introduction to not only the band, but to like that touring life, you know, which was I was becoming a very, you know, like (laughs) active participant in, you know, at that time. And that was when I was about 21, so
0: i mean i think it's a life uh i think that's something like that you know you don't ever really give up on at least you know if you if you enjoy it and if you have passion for it
2: oh yeah for sure you know like i mean and you don't really know what's coming tomorrow i, I always feel like that's a big element to keep going and never give up no matter what because you don't know what what's around the corner you know um you know my friend shame i mentioned Seamus like you know he's he's one of the greatest living tenor saxophone players. He also has kind of a pop career, but I don't think he ever would have imagined that through jazz connections. He would get the gig with Roger Waters, but oh, you know, he's go. but he's been doing that tour. So it's just you don't know what's uh, around the corner, you know. And um, very true. And that's not necessarily a dream gig musically, but financially, it's amazing, right? So.
0: Because let's be let's be honest. Like working in, in the industry, whether it's you know session work or you're touring with a, a artist like Roger Waters, like mm-hmm. you know you're gonna get a paycheck that's you know that could pay your mortgage for a year. And it might not necessarily be what the passion of what you're doing, but uh, I mean, we could probably line up a hundred people that just do jobs just to pay the rent. Yeah, that have zero passion. So, and I feel mm-hmm. what you're saying. Like, it might not be what necessarily what he wants to do artistically, but I mean, if you're making you know X amount of dollars per gig, and again, like, and it's paying your mortgage. You know, one gig could pay your mortgage for a year. Let's go! Yeah, no I kidding, think, no kidding.
1: I also think, like, with a cat like Seamus or Scott or anybody that's like got a awesome vocabulary, it's it, sometimes it's kind of fun to to jump into something a little uh, less heady. I don't know, like like he gets to put in he he gets to take out some of the creative elements that he normally uses and just focus them and be like be perfect for that guy. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. you're
2: trying to give your employer what they need. Yeah. And in his case, he needs actually someone to play the parts off the original recordings, and that's what he does. And
1: he's remarkably accurate.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's and weird that's hard because to find. It's, it's <laughs> not. I mean, he can improvise ten thousand times better than anything that's on those original recordings. But you know, that's not what his audience wants to hear. They want yeah. To hear his what audience. was on those original recordings? So that's. What he you know gives him anyway? All, all nice. that just to say that you don't know what you know. You, you don't, don't know what's
0: coming. That's true. That's true. So you two met in uh, in nineteen out in California. Mm-hmm. Now, were you brought together by different people, or did one of you like know somebody that said, "Hey, I got this other person over here that would be good to work with"? How did that meeting kind of happen?
2: Well, Jimmy told me like because. I didn't really understand like he, he told me well you know okay we're making this record <laughs> I was already working on the tracks you know for the songs and um, and, I, and I'm i asking him well who's going to sing this or who's going to sing that and he's like well I want to bring this singer in from Denver or from C- Colorado that, I'm, that I met and I was thinking like well why do you want to do that you know like <laughs> 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 yeah and he's like oh, well check man. her out so he sent me a couple videos that you know that Mirror was on and stuff and I and I, I liked it, but I still didn't quite get why he wanted to bring her out, you know. But, I, but he said, just trust me. So I said, okay, no problem. You know, if, if Jimmy says trust me, what are you going to do? You, of course, you're going to Right, okay. you got to trust him. I hear him. you, I'm like, just going to trust you, it's no problem. Not, not, a, not a problem at all, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I just did, and that's that's um, and that's just how it happened. so, you know, I went to the session that day, and there was Mayor, you know. And, of course, wow. some of the other musicians that we, that we had brought in to to do it but that was a vocal day so it was Mare and one one or two other singers that yeah and um um and we just hit it off you know i I don't know how else to say it we just hit it off and then we had to communicate a little bit more um about further recordings that we were going to do from a remote you know standpoint and um i don't know we just we just hit it off and the next thing you know here we
1: are. <laughs> <laughs> wow, how'd
0: that happen? Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> right, two, three years later. And nice. I will say, like, well,
1: when he walked in, I thought before he talked, he just, he looked kind of like, he had like an intimidating factor on his face. Like, he he looked kind of like, all right, what what did you bring me? You know, oh, and, and he, he looked cocky when he walked in. And then as soon as he talked, I you know, he was this guy that you got to meet today. Like, this really friendly, charming guy, you know.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So yeah, that that really got got me to both want to work with him at first, and then, you know, to to become more. <laughs>
0: it's funny how you know music can bring together people and all different facets of life and stuff. So yeah, that's amazing.
1: Slums like me and and kings like him. <laughs>
0: Have mercy! Look at that! I like that man. That's that's humility, Mer. <laughs> you guys initially do this um this this work together in nineteen and. Uh, you're, you're vibing together and and moving forward. You know, once you guys started getting serious, were you guys working on planning like a tour or recording a full length record? Like no. What was the uh, what was the goal at the time?
2: I decided that I wanted to make an album with with Mare. You know, so we started um, putting tunes together. Like I started listening to her tunes and thinking about covers. And you know, I think covers is a really good way to show people like what your sound is. Um, Uh, on you know it's like you're showing them what your sound is on a tune they know so that's we decided to do a few covers so we so we ended up making this record that we call adjustments i don't know if you if you've heard that
0: i have heard a a few of those tracks and i'll be honest man like i'm i'm i played them a few times just because i'm like it's so intricate some of those like some of the parts and the changes and i'm just like this is dope Like (laughs) wow It's not cookie cutter. Oh no, definitely not. You know, like, I mean, I hate to say this in a in in a way that to cut down some of these artists that are, you know, multi platinum, multi millionaire, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them, but that music that you guys that Marcel sent me, I was like, this is art to me. And again, not cutting down people like you know. I won't drop names for people that I think are cookie cutter artists, but mm-hmm. I mean, when you hear that style and the you know the changes and the breaks and you know the crescendos and the decrescendos, I just I was really impressed. Oh, obviously. thank I'm you! Not blowing smoke. That was really good stuff. And uh, you know, I was looking at some of the names on there that you guys have worked with, and I was just like, wow, because you know, you know, when you work with artists, especially if you have your own. Um, you know, you have your own clout, right? You right. have your own uh, list of uh, achievements. But then you go and you get to work with other artists, and some of those artists I saw on there were pretty big names. Like, what? Uh, how did you guys end up working with some of those artists that I saw on those uh, the list of those songs? I don't want to draw names. I just uh, kind of hear from you guys.
2: Honestly, most, I mean, pretty much everybody on that record, um, everybody on there is kind of just a friend of mine, um, but. I was really looking for special people to really, you know, make this record awesome. So, you know, Gary Novak is the drummer on a lot of it. And, you know, you might know him from, you know, he he's so versatile. He worked with Chick Corea back in the day, but he also worked with Lennis Morissette. So he's a full, I mean, like a true jazz drummer, but also a, a rock drummer, you know. Right. And so he he's a great guy and he's just one of my best friends. So that was a, That's awesome. not really like a... Didn't take a whole lot of thought to to come up with that, but um, um, bass players, you know, Tim Lafave is incredible, incredible groover, um, you know, and he's like on the last Bowie record and stuff.
0: Oh, David Bowie, man! Yeah, oh, man.
2: and then and then of course, you know, Danny Carey, of course, from Tool, you know, is on drums on one right. tune and plays percussion on another one, and uh, he's he's a good friend and a fantastic musician too and um that's awesome yeah yeah that's a good
0: that's a good school of friends to have especially when you you say hey man i got this track i need some drums on right yeah this track i need you know a certain part to be played you know are you interested like yeah sure man send me the stems you're like
1: yeah yeah
0: you know you just jump in the studio and away you go that's well yeah with danny
2: um, with, with novak he came over and recorded in my studio with with danny i went to his place and recorded there but um yeah, it's it's just great. And then um, you know Steve Tavoloni played saxophone with um, Walt Fowler on trumpet on on um, on the Steely Dan tune. And you know yeah. those guys like Walt yeah. Fowler played with Zappa back in the day. And you know he he's been
0: Frank Zappa man. Oh wow. Oh yeah. You know he's got a huge oh. history. He
2: and his brothers also the other Fowler brothers, um, Bruce and those those cats. Bruce is a trombone player, but they worked with uh, Zappa you know, a lot and. Um, Steve Tavallone played with everybody from uh, who, who's that R and B singer that he worked with like back in the seventies? You yeah. know, like he's just you know like he was with uh, George Benson when he was huge, and toured the world with him, and and then lately he's been doing all the, the movies with um,
1: Thomas Newman with and Thomas, Pixar. Thomas
2: Newman and oh wow, you know he's done all that stuff from The Horse Whisperer on. Just done everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, so those guys are the horn section. It's awesome to have those guys. And then.
1: Truly an honor.
2: And then, you know, new guys, like young guys, like Pedro Martins, this Brazilian guitarist who's a genius, you know, um, played on on and
0: Hearing it come from you so casually, I love that because. Let's be honest, man, you get somebody who got to meet their favorite artist, and it's like fanboy time, and, <laughs> and you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're bragging to everybody, and they're telling everybody, and then everybody's like, yeah, who cares, man, you got to meet him, cool, or you got to, you know, you, you got to sit with them for a couple of minutes, and, and I say this in all due respect, because I fanboyed out myself. But I love hearing somebody as accomplished as what I've already heard from you in the last 30 minutes say, you know, the names that you're bringing to the table. And you're saying, you know, this person's an amazing a musician, artist. And it's like, yeah, they have a huge credential list. And you're like, you know what? And they're a good friend of mine. I love to hear that because it's just that it's like that level of of understanding, like, hey. You get a football team together, and they're all you know top list, you know first round draft pick players, and they're like, "Let's go do this thing." All right, so we're in twenty two now. What is uh, what's the plan for? I, I'm sorry, we're actually coming into twenty three. That's I, right. Me, what bro? happened to twenty two?
1: It's just all I, know. Over so fast. I think
0: twenty two got stolen from us somewhat. Something happened, bro. Something happened sure. in there.
2: I don't know. Did we did we all do too many drugs? I don't know.
0: It's possible. So what is the plan for 23? Do you guys have any big events or anything, you know, like planned to do, or are you guys just gonna like, just doing well, you and still playing?
2: And- no, there's there's distinct plans, and then there's some open-ended stuff. But like I, I've I'm planning on doing a tour in Europe in April, and then uh, we're also Mir and I are going to work on a new record. Hopefully, the the idea is to do a record with Danny Carey also, like a full length, like record. a full yeah full record with okay. Danny. Okay. Okay. And kind of make it like a band, you know, so I'm not really sure how it's going to come together right now, but that we've been talking a lot about it and, um, and I've done like maybe one or two tunes that I know will go on that record. Uh, so I'm working on those tunes and then I'm also working on a new solo record, which is kind of almost done, but I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to actually finish it.
0: Isn't that like the uh, the crux? Like you have a whole record's worth of music, and you're like, okay, 90% of it's done. Yeah. It's like that last 10% I need to... I just oh, complete. man. I, I, that I feel you.
2: That is really true. It's like I can get to 98%, and that last 2% <laughs> kills me.
0: Oh, I'm with you, bro. I have like eight songs in the studio now that are like that, where it's like I just need to finish this one part, and then I go to it, and I'm like... I don't know dude. Do and I want to work on that today <laughs> right <laughs> you know right and then you put it aside and like oh I got this new beat or this new rhythm or this new, a new set take of lyrics on it. That I' want to try it right yeah and then and then you re like you revisit it and then you're like okay and then you tear it down to its base again and you're like okay start over yeah <laughs>
2: it's a pain in the ass because oh. you, you just yeah. you, you <laughs> just keep coming up with like either new ways of doing it or I mean yep. that's that's happening on a tune that we did um, with Mirror. It, we I mean, we recorded the whole thing, and then she's like, "I don't like the lyric," so yeah. we're like, "Oh, okay." Oh boy. Now what? You know, so she wrote some other lyrics and sang them, and trying to figure out if the, if that's better, in fact, or you know, it's I a don't mind know. It's, game. it's it's
0: it's 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 not easy. Definitely a mind game for sure. All right. As far as the European tour, Mer, I was gonna say, are, are you uh, are you gonna be joining him in Europe on this tour that he's planning, or are you? Uh, what's your plans musically for '23?
1: I'd love to go to Europe, um, figuring out the logistics, and, uh, yeah. I mean, I went this last summer. Uh, we performed in uh, Cologne, Germany, and Switzerland mm-hmm. at Ascona Jazz yes, Festival.
2: Yeah, we played That's the music awesome. of uh, Weather Report um, with a big band, with the Bujazo Orchestra from Germany. Awesome. Yeah, that was really That's a cool so gig. And we recorded that, too. I mean, in fact... I mean, I don't even know who actually recorded it because it wasn't the, the big band, but one of the engineers that was mixing the live show recorded it. So I've got those files and I'm, I'm mixing that too. So, and Mayor's on Mayor sang uh, Can It Be Done, which was originally on Domino Theory. And Carl, Carl Anderson,
1: Anderson. Yeah,
2: yeah. He originally sang. <laughs> no. Yeah, so Mayor did a version of that song and then we did, you know, six or seven other tunes. And so we're going to. I'm gonna finish mixing that record. So that's another thing I'm kind of doing is finishing mixing that record um, for release, um, you know, sometime next
0: year. Yeah, 23 is gonna be a big year for a lot of people. It's crazy because talking with different artists you know over the last couple of months, and you know now I get to hear you guys' story and you know what happened to 22. Man, here we are in in almost 23. And things are already starting to heat up. So, I have two questions that I ask all the artists that I'm talking to, and, and this goes for both of you. So, uh, the first question is what is the biggest uh, amount of people that you have gotten to play in front of in your career? And whoever wants to take it, yeah.
1: 800,
0: 1,000, 2,000. Okay. 2, I don't know. okay. Hey, that, hey you know what? People don't understand this, but when you get to play in front of one person, that one person could be, I mean, you wouldn't Just even back. know it. It could be the president of Walmart. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So 2,000 people, that's people—that's—that's a good amount of people to get to play in front of. So how about you, Scott? What's uh, What would you say is your biggest amount of people you've gotten to play in front of?
2: Um, a few years back, I did a, a, a gig, in, a, you know, like a, a couple of – I did like a week in Morocco and oh,
0: let's go man yeah yeah
2: and uh yeah and uh, i did this gig with this basically one of the kind of the biggest stars in morocco's name hamid El kassari and um you know he's it's somebody that we never would have ever heard of here but there you know he's a huge star and nice and it's interesting because their music is kind of the moroccan music or like it's called ganawa it's kind of um religious but it's becoming less and less religious so there's this kind of you know not controversy but whatever it's it's a it's a thing that they're aware of you know it's like how do we keep our right. music sacred but you know st- reach more people but anyway we, sure. we did a concert we did an opening concert and then the, the big finale concert was probably for about 80,000 people yeah buddy pretty much the biggest I guess that I've that I've been a part of As far as I can remember But um, That was a big show And that was a really Interesting gig too Because you know We were playing Really interesting music You know It was like Right um, it, You know It's that northern Morocco That northern African Kind of um, Northern You know Kind of African vibe it's, It was very Very cool um, Kareem Ziad Is the drummer And um, We had a Percussionist You know from, We had just Musicians from all over the world Playing in that gig and, That's awesome. Uh, it was, it was I love it. Man. Yeah, it was a great gig. Actually, actually, one of those tunes from that concert is on near life experience.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm I'm gonna go look it up when we're done. So. Yeah, yeah. so okay, to follow that question up and this and then we'll wrap this up, this baby up. What is the what is the most fun or what was the most memorable like venue that you've played in over your career?
1: I'll go. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it was like, I've got the most recent memory, being the best, the Cologne Philharmonic in Cologne, Germany, with Scott. Okay. And the big band. And I just, I loved working with those kids. They're between, like, 21 and 30. So, I mean, they're kind of my age, but... um, I loved working with them, and with Scott, and Gergo Borlai, and Hadrian Farad, and... um, Artsotun's Boyashian, I am I missing anybody? Buyatso Big Band. I just thought um, it was so cool to find myself in such a medieval city, and I mean yeah. that that room. I just love old theaters and Philharmonic, and the things kind of dug into the earth. You know, it just goes down like a mile mm. of seats, and wow, it's so That's steep. Awesome. You think you're gonna fall to your death <laughs> finding your seat. You know. Oh. And uh, the right. backstage area was so nice. And the the lady gave me, a. The, there's like somebody in charge of bringing you like baked goods. And they brought me, they remembered I was gluten free and they brought me a, an almond scone. And it was like nice. European quality.
0: Hey, let's go. I love to eat. And I so. was with my love, yeah.
1: Scott. And that's the biggest thing. Like, yeah. We got to be hey. together on that. That was so cool. Yeah, that
0: was cool. That was really great. That's awesome.
1: Really fun night. How
0: about you Scott what what would you say is your like most favorite or memorable I mean, uh, venue There's a I think there's a lot of great
2: places to play all over the place I agree But um I mean you know when I think about I you know I just I, you got me thinking about that Morocco gig and okay another interesting night we we I, I was playing um, with several of the Ganawa musicians in this kind of small room it was nothing like the eighty thousand seat thing. It was just—it was just like I don't know, maybe a couple hundred could fit in there, maybe. And most of the people were sitting on little cushions, little little like uh, pillows on the floor, kind of, you know. And anyway, we're we're you know, and we're doing kind of an improvised gig, so we're just improvising and playing and trying to make it happen. And I remember like one of the struggles I had was trying to be in tune with those guys because their instruments are. Um, I don't know, uh, they either drift or they're changing the tuning constantly. So, like, it's just hard to take a very perfectly in tune synthesizer and make it in-tune with those Ganawan basses, you know? Right, <laughs> right, right. So I remember that. But anyway, like, I-, I remember playing and just looking off to my left, and it was such a surreal thing because sitting on the, on the, the windowsill of this small room... Uh, was was pat Mathaney and his wife and i you know i grew up listening to pat i went to every show that pat played in detroit from when i was a little kid up until you know i moved away from michigan so okay to see pat sitting there listening to us was just like this this can't wow. this can't be you know this you're right? How can this be? This doesn't make any sense. I'm supposed to be out right. there listening to him, but he's sitting there listening right On the way around. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, it was just, yeah. it was so surreal. And it, I mean, another weird thing on that same trip, If I'm pretty sure it was the same trip. I was just talking to a random guy in front of the hotel, and it turned out that he's the dean of curriculum at Berkeley. So oh, it's wow. just that, you know, you run into these people that, you know, they're just ordinary people people hanging out but they they turn out to be like really major figures and in some way in your life because of course i went to berkeley right and um you know he's just hanging out enjoying the festival and being there you know and you you wouldn't really know you know anybody who anybody is but there's just always interesting interest like you were saying if one person or a thousand people or ten thousand people or eighty thousand people whatever there there's always going to be somebody interesting there And, uh, it was just cool to, to just hang out with him for a few days and, and, um, uh, you know, and then, and actually on the way there, I knew that Pat was there because I happened to sit next to him on the flight. Like the, I just saw this, all this hair sit down next to me and <laughs> I like that yeah I mean actually it was some other guy was sitting next to me on this flight and he realized he was in the wrong seat so he moved like one seat up and then this all this hair I just saw out of the corner of my eye all this hair sit next to me and I look and I'm like that's Pat thing, you know sitting like really directly like right next to me so I you know I <laughs> nice. had a chat with him then too and I just kind of said hey man i you know, been listening to you forever and uh, right? yeah so anyway that's that awesome. was just kind of like some experiences that I remember that I really enjoyed you know from
0: yeah. yeah. That's good man. That's good stuff, bro. Yeah. yeah. Those moments where you just sit with somebody and you're like, "Dude, I remember you from back in the day." And that's oh, yeah. that's so that's dope. Yeah, I love yeah. those types of stories, man. That's awesome. So well, I think we're out of time today, man. I gotta, I gotta get going. But it was an honor, Likewise. both of you, to sit and and hear your story and just get a little background from both of you. And I'm excited to see what 23 brings. And is there any websites or anything that I can kind of plug with uh, with with the fans and stuff? Like, is there a a place that people can go and and just you know veg out on you guys?
1: Well, Scott has a site and I have a site. Are you ready for his? Okay.
0: His? Yeah, is- yeah. Let's hear it.
1: Uh And okay. my site is Mare M E R dash S A L dash Sings dot com. Sings.com.
0: Love it.
2: Yeah, and awesome. we're we're on Instagram too. And Facebook. Okay. Yeah, and Facebook. So you can find us pretty much everywhere.
0: Awesome. Well, I would love to get a chance to work with you guys at some point. I know Murr and I worked together um, back about f- what was it, five years ago? Yeah. We did a gig together at Herman's, and then we worked on a, a single together. But if there's an opportunity in '23 to uh, to get to work with you guys, that would be an honor. I would I would truly cherish that opportunity. So if that's if that's something that we could work out, I would love to get a chance to do that. So yeah, man.
2: Yeah, sure. You know, I played I played at Herman's Hideaway in the '90s.
1: <laughs> did you? Oh, my God. I
2: wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. awesome.
2: And I, I played in Fort Collins with... Henderson? Um, no, with... Um, uh, uh, who's the other guitar player? Um, uh, Rosenwinkle. No. Um, okay. You saw him with Oz. The opposite, opposite Oz.
0: Oz going
1: Near Felder. Come on. No, well, I think... Do you
0: remember the venue that you played in Fort Collins?
2: Yeah, the, I think it
1: the,
0: was the Aggie, Aggie, Aggie Theater. Oh, the Aggie. Oh man, that. Oh yeah, that's like the Rialto in Loveland. Man, it goes back in the day. Like Aggie's the
1: place. It was the the only place yes. in town, you know, besides the Lincoln Center. But the right. Aggie was where you'd see like touring acts, as you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, because yes. they had the Bar Bazaar back in the day, and then the Starlight. That mm-hmm. was a decent sized venue, and then yes. the White Buffalo in Loveland. That was uh, that held some pretty good shows back in the day. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I played at awesome.
2: some club in Denver too. Um, with that same guitar player. Cervantes? That? Yeah, Cervantes. It was like a real... Oh, yeah. Like, the, the dressing room there was unbelievable. I mean, I went to sit down in one chair. It was completely soaked, like, soaked through to the core. It was so Uh-oh. wet. And then the bathroom was completely destroyed. Like, <laughs> nothing was... Oh, man. Like, nothing was in... What <laughs> a nightmare. And, like, the, I mean... It was a, a graffiti, you know, covering the walls completely, which is fine, but like nothing was really working in there at all. But it was it a sounds fun like big. the Ogden. <laughs> What's that?
0: It sounds like the Ogden theater, man, like, oh really? Just- 2000 years old, and you're like, okay, did they ever paint this yeah, room? Yeah, right. Like, the because the Ogden, like, the, the green room is down deep, like, underneath the stage. So, you have to go down these really skinny, windy stairs, and then, like, it's like this catacomb of green room. And it's like, if the, anything were to ever collapse, like, you're done. There's no way to get They'll out. Never so, find you. wow, no <laughs> right? They'll never find you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember. Crazy. I was there with
2: Jimmy Herring, that's that's the guitar player. I was
0: nice. Nice. Well, sweet, guys. Well, hey, I got to run. It was awesome listening to your stories, and I'm excited to, uh, yeah, to see what 23 brings for sure for you guys. Right on. Right on. on. Well, sweet.
1: Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Oh, (laughs) yeah, you you. too, man. Yeah, (laughs) you too. Yeah, for sure.
0: There you go. Another successful session here on TK's A-Brigade, the music series. I got to be honest, Marcel and Scott surprised me, impressed me, blew me away at times during this interview. It was an amazing opportunity to sit, and I was honored for them to let me ask questions and learn more about their life. And, you know, the best part about sitting with people who have passion in any format, whether it's sports, whether it's music, when they share their heart and they share their life, those types of stories are so intriguing to me, and I hope you as listeners enjoy them. Next week, we are going to jump on an interview with a DJ from Grand Junction, Colorado. His name is Nate Wild. Nate has been around in the scene. He's also a lead guitarist. He currently runs a radio station out there in Junction, so we are going to dive into his life and his journey when it comes to music and him being a radio DJ, so stay tuned for that. This series has started to really grow, in fact, I have about eight more artists that have already recorded their interviews, and I am just waiting to release them. Names like Dave Beagle and Lonnie Chapin, Asha Blaine and Tim Elliott. Among the few that I won't drop quite yet because it is so exciting, but I am continuing to grow, and I am asking you listeners to help me do that. When you go on the podcast, there is a button that says support. You click on it and you can choose an amount monthly to support the podcast. Anywhere from $0.99 a month to $9.99 a month. All I'm asking listeners to do is support with a dollar. It would truly help out growing this podcast and bringing more valid content. We are continuing the Friends series as well as the Doche and TK series, so stay tuned for those episodes I drop every Friday at 8 a.m., so set your calendars, people, because I've got some amazing artists still coming. The ones that I've gotten to release already are amazing, and I still have more to do, so be on the lookout for that. You've been listening to TK's A-Brigade. You can find me on every major platform, Spotify, Anchor, Amazon, Google, iHeartRadio. Leave a comment or a question. I would love your feedback. Until next week. Take it easy.